Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Uh, joining me today is Dr. Cecily Harrod. Uh, she has uh, an incredible smile on her face right now. Um, <laughs> and she's a physician at Northern Virginia Family Practice and Associates. She specializes in women's health with an emphasis on LGBTQ community, helping them out, help them nurture their emotional and mental health needs. And she speaks publicly about anxiety, menopause, women's cardiovascular health, and COVID-19. But today's emphasis is going to be about how parents can support children's mental health. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Happy. Well, thank you so much. That was a great introduction. It's, it's uh, nice yeah. to be here. I hope so. You wrote it. So, and I'm well, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, does that all still hold true? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that, that's all still me. Okay. Are you still, you still, you're still married? You still have two sons in a, in, a, in, a, in a zoo at the house? I do. I have a zoo at the house. I'm not sure. I have three cats now. I think my bio might only say two, but now we have three. You know, COVID, you just got to keep keep adopting those animals. Yeah. Can you even decorate your house with so much going on? Or are they just like tearing things as you put it up? No, they it's, they've completely taken over. I've, <laughs> I've, I have, I have given up a hundred percent, but you know, it's kind of nice not to have to worry about that. I'm like, Oh, I just got a great excuse. I just have cats. They'll just, you know, they're going to tear up the furniture. We don't have to buy anything nice. <laughs> I, I love it. And, and you're out there in Alexandria, Virginia, small Correct, town. Yeah. So <laughs> what, <laughs> what what are when I say small uh, like uh, one hundred and sixty thousand? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What are parents coming to you with? Like what what are what are the the mental health anxieties that kids are presenting with, and how do parents support their kids? Yeah, you know it's you know even before COVID hit. Um, I, I, you know, the, the incidence of, uh, depression, anxiety, uh, challenges in school behavior issues, it seems to have been, you know, it was ticking up a little bit just in general, we can maybe, you know, talk about the theorize why, why that might've been, but let me tell you when COVID hit and, uh, you know, schools shut down and, uh, you know, ability for kids to connect and be with one another, it, it just, you know, and fear, trauma, when all of that ticked up, my goodness, it was, there was a lot of reaching out about, um, you know, kids that were, that were struggling, that were really, really suffering. So, you know, a lot of what we saw was um, depression, you know, kids not wanting to either sleeping too much, not wanting to get out of bed, um, you know, and also virtual school. I mean, that that's tough. And so a lot of times kids didn't want to participate in that. And that could, you know, doesn't necessarily mean you're depressed. It's just it's a tough way to learn. But just, you know, it, you know, but also, you know, families themselves were under a lot of stress. Parents were very stressed out. There's more anxiety. So there was kind of a trickle down effect. But uh, but that's that's kind of what we've been what we've been seeing. And, uh, you know, as a primary care doctor, uh, we're a lot of times we're the entry point for mental health care. You know, not everybody can um, jump in and start seeing a therapist or even realize that that's what they need. But if parents will notice that there's something that's just not right about their about their child. And uh, and then we're, we're the kind of the first first line of defense. And then we have to kind of pick apart the situation and see what we can, what we can find out. Uh, you know, that, that's an interesting note because I never really thought of the primary care physician or doctor being uh, the entryway into helping a family member with mental health. 
because uh, I mean, you know, in all the years that I've uh, been to see a doctor, not that I go there regularly. I mean, now <laughs> I do because I'm 45. And, I That's mean, right. The, yeah. The, yeah, the body is just like, look, we got to go see somebody about this. Um, but I, I don't know that I've had one recommend me for like mental health services. Mm. How does that work? So are you, do you reach out to other therapists or I, I, how do they go from you to the next step? Yeah. I mean, a lot of times when people will come to me, I mean, whether it's, it's, you know, kids or, or, you know, adults, a lot of times, you know, they don't even recognize that what they're experiencing is anxiety or depression. Right. I mean, so sometimes just getting to an understanding that what they are experiencing actually is related to mental health can be a challenge. And so that's, you know, they'll come, they'll come to me with palpitations, heart racing, I can't sleep these issues. And they think it's a physical problem. So part of what brings people in to see me is thinking that there's a physical problem problem. And my job is to figure out, is it physical or is it mental? So that that's kind of phase one. Uh, but sometimes people will, you know, come in and they say, I'm just, you know, they, they recognize that what they're feeling is anxiety, what they're feeling is depression. And, uh, you know, we can, we'll talk about that a little bit. There's different screening tests that we do to sort of gauge at what level that they're, that they're really being affected and then talk about different options. But your question about, being, uh, you know, tied in with different therapists, I, I do a lot of mental health care. So, and over the years, I have an army of, um, <laughs> of therapists at that, that I use that I, that I try to direct people to, I, let me tell you, uh, COVID has made it hard because these practices are, are filled to the brim. So there's, there's wait lists and everything, but yeah, I, I try to act as a, you know, as, as, a you know, as primary care doctors, I consider myself somewhat of a project manager. So trying to get people to the right places and help them out and support them and finding the right people that can help them if I'm not able to do it. So that's, that's, that's what I sort of see my job as. I love that. And, and you're so right when, you know, the number of people who present with what they think are physical problems, which really are uh, more um, uh, mental or emotional mm -hmm. issues, like, I remember my first panic attack. And, Classic, right? Oh my god! I thought I was gonna like tunnel oh, vision, sweaty palms, um, heart racing, um, couldn't breathe. And I remember I I had it in a therapy session because I, I had my master's mm -hmm. in psychology, and I remember just like having to talk myself down as the client is talking. Um, but even before that, as a kid, I just had so much social anxiety. I think like okay. almost every day before I went to school, I'd be like sweating and nervous right before I walked into the building. And um, but I, I recognize it was like a nervousness about walking into the building mm -hmm. versus it being a health issue. Is it? Well, you recognize that. But I think it's so interesting and, and part of sort of understanding ourselves and the effect that mental health has on our physical health is sort of recognizing, wow, look at what being nervous does to my body. You know, my, you know, I feel sweaty. I might, my, my, you know, my heart rate goes up and these are all part of fight or flight, right? That's what that's, that's our body's getting ready to react. It's getting ready to protect itself. And so, but recognizing that these bodily reactions are actually normal. And, you know, a lot of times what I try to do is to validate them with people also. So what you're feeling is real. I understand, you know, the, 
they say it's not in my head. I said, I know it's not in your head. These feelings are real, but helping them understand where they come from and what we might have to do to make them better. So what can someone do to make it better? Like what, what are you suggesting or what have you discovered from your, your patients or clients that you were like, wow, that's a, a good uh, tactic or tool to share with other people? Yeah. You know, I, I think recognizing what it is and validating your feelings, I think is number one. And then just showing yourself compassion and, uh, you know, allowing yourself to have these feelings and just to be kind to yourself instead of saying, oh gosh, I wish I didn't feel this way. And I'm so stupid for feeling this way. I'm just, you know, I, I feel so bad because I can't control this. It's just giving yourself compassion and say, this is, it's, it's okay. Be kind to yourself. I think that that's one of the first things that you can do, but other things you can do. I mean, real, a lot of times, you know, if we really need to just sort of shut off that fight or flight, that, that spiral, um, is, uh, you know, one thing that you can do are even Mike, we've heard of meditation, right? And so sometimes, you know, that you get into a, you know, nice quiet space and do some deep breathing and everything, but there's, there's something called micro meditations that I think, uh, can help people a lot. And it's just a little bit of, um, rubbing your fingers together, for example, and just sitting and stopping and rubbing your fingers and just thinking about the sensation of that happening for about 30 seconds. And a lot of times what that will do, it takes you out of that fight or flight place and you go to a different part of your brain and you're sort of thinking about the feeling, the sensation. Let's think about that. And you'll find that, you know, in a minute or two, what you were feeling, that that stress and anxiety, that fight or flight has has reduced. So micro meditation is something you can do. It's easy. You don't have to set yourself up in a room and, you know, turn on turn on meditation music or anything like that. It's very, very easy and practical. So I think being kind to yourself and then just, you know, maybe little um, episodes of micro meditation can help. I love that idea of a micro meditation because I think <laughs> a lot of people are turned off from meditation mm -hmm. because they think of, I don't want to sit for an hour exactly, or I don't have, you know, even 10 minutes or just sitting for two minutes with myself is, is too much. So that, you know, just kind of rubbing your fingers together. You know what that mm -hmm. reminds me of? Uh, what? Eastern medicine, when they have those mm. uh, balls that they, uh, um, uh, uh, twirl between their fingers. Twirl is not the right word, but um, you know, like those two Zen balls yeah. that they're kind of I, yeah, rotating. The Zen balls yeah, exactly. It's the same concept. I mean, it really, what it does is it allows us just to pay attention to something else that's happening and getting out of our own heads. And it's, you know, it, it's, it can be relaxing and it allows us to reset. And, you know, we're constantly on the go and it's in just having these tricks just calm us down in the moment can be so helpful. And, you know, like you were saying, just, you know, with the, you know, when parents come in with their kids, you know, what, what do you do to, to help them out? I mean, we, these are some of the first things that, that I talk about is just let's, you know, let's figure out a way that in the moment when we just feel like we can't, you know, be in our own body, what can we do in that moment? That's step one, right? Let's get through that minute. So, so that, I, I want to drill first places will start. I want to drill down on that a little bit more, uh, Dr. Mm. Havert, because like mm -hmm. you said, so many of us are on the go. And uh, the struggle for a lot of parents is that they're working two jobs and yeah. there's very little parent-child interaction. Oftentimes, I, I know even for me, like, uh, you know, I, had, I was home before mom got home, so I had to cook dinner, uh, you know, I had to tuck myself in. 
Uh, my mom left for work in the morning before I left for school. There's a lot of alone time. And, and so I love this idea of how to relax on the go. I had a, a car ride the other night. It was 90 minutes and music podcast. None of it filled the void. And I was just <laughs> like, let me see if I can notice any yellow cars. Like how ah. many yellow cars will I see before I get home? So are, are there, what are other ways that people can soothe on the go? Oh, well, I, th that's a great, that's a great one. I love that when you just trying to look, you know, at, and also that helps you sort of connect a little bit more with your surroundings, right? Takes you out of your own head. So I think anything that you can do, um, whether it's, uh, you know, playing a little game with yourself, the, you know, the yellow cars or um, a game that I like to play with my kids uh, or, you know, the, <clears throat> the alphabet game when you're in a car, long car ride. And you look on the, you know, on the, the side of the truck for, for A, it, you know, so you kind of go through the whole alphabet and it, it's sort of, a, it's, well, that's a fun little game that you can actually play with one another. It's sort of interactive, but. Um, Wait, what's the alphabet game? Can you You don't know the alphabet game? Oh, it's so know. much fun. Oh gosh. Well, you, you don't need to do it with someone else. You can just, you know, whether they're in the car alone. So basically you, you start with the letter A. And you have to look around and, you know, sometimes on the side of the, the, the either like a license plate or a sign on the road or a truck with like, you know, ABC towing and you say, A is that. And then you go on to B. So you basically you're just looking for all but all the letters of the alphabet in that order. But you're just kind of focusing. You're looking in your oh, surroundings. You know what? I played that game at a bar. Okay, you can I, I, play it anywhere. You don't have to do it in a car. <laughs> but but you know, but is, is but yeah, but it's a lot of times you're just you really, you know, kind of taking your focus away from you know, maybe someplace you didn't want to be, and you're just refocusing, you're resetting. I and it's that. fun. Yeah, we played it at a bar where because uh, mm -hmm. we were at this fancy bar where they had a bunch of wines on the on display, and we're trying we're seeing if we could find every letter of the alphabet in in. Um, the names of the uh, the bottles on the we I think there were like two letters we we didn't get. But, I would uh, think there'd be a couple that would be tricky. Yeah, or not <laughs> not so common in, in bottles of wine. But yeah, yeah, it's just you know it's it's a fun game. So uh, yeah, so you know on the go, um, that's that that's a that's a tricky tricky thing um, to try to you know give give yourself time I, I, you know and also I along those lines you know just the kind of the overscheduled nature that that we're all that we're all part of uh, one thing I noticed that was interesting about COVID I know we're kind of going a different direction was that the the, the overscheduled part of everybody's lives kind of stopped a little bit right so that was that was something that was very interesting and you know i was trying to point out to patients let's notice how we feel about this and so a lot of people actually felt a little bit calmer you, you know you bring up such a great point because you know when we you know i'm in san diego here in alexandria virginia which is very close to dc yeah and those it's essentially two, outside right outside yeah and those are two very bustling cities uh Ugh. people on a go and uh, just the, just the sound that you made right there, just you know, <laughs> it's like e even to sit still. But you know, in a lot of European countries and historically, we as a people have taken siestas. We've mm -hmm. taken midday breaks for a couple hours, and I know that uh, you know part of your emphasis on the work that you do is cardiovascular health. And I was looking at research showing that 
once we got rid of the siesta, that that if you don't know what a siesta is, basically a two-hour break in the middle of the day. Right in the middle of the day. Right in the middle of the day from like (laughs) one to three. In some countries, it's like 11 to four. Some places still shut down. I think like in Mm -hmm. Greece, some parts. Um, Or you could just go home, relax, and you come back to work and you work till like eight or 10 or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, And they said that heart attacks increased. I, I might be exaggerating this number. By 60% once they eliminated the siestas. Mm-hmm. And so, it, you know, to highlight what you're talking about, being overscheduled. Can you yeah. talk about that? Because it's also about removing things from our life that are causing the anxiety and the depression. It's true. It's, it's, it's a lot of it is prioritizing uh, what, what brings us joy in our life. And, you know, recognizing that just having 20 things on the docket, isn't necessarily, um, being the most busy person in the room doesn't necessarily bring us joy, right? If anything, it can bring us a lot of stress and, you know, and some people maybe can handle that better than others, but I think in general, it, you, you hear people complaining about it all the time. Um, you know, parents who have to bring their kids, they don't, you know, they've got, um, this practice and, you know, this, this, this club and, and everything. And they just, you know, there's, it's, I think they do it because they like to think that they're being connected with these different clubs, but are we really connecting with one another while we're doing it is, is the big question. Are we connecting with our kids enough? Um, or are we just keeping them so busy that, you know, we, you know, we, we, we just can't connect or we don't connect. So um yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think it's it, it's a tough thing, and I think during COVID we noticed that we didn't have all those things, and there was a little bit more of a calm. We were we were mourning the loss of not being able to, you know, go to games and you know, and, and especially for kids, you know, all the different activities. But at the same time, there was it was a little bit, you know, we we were also able to relax a little bit. Um, and, you know, mentioning the siestas, it's just, uh, it, you know, other countries, I think, recognize that we don't have to push ourselves to the brink <laughs> of exhaustion in order to be successful, in order to be happy. I'm not exactly sure, you know, how the work ethic and, and everything sort of came to be what it is here in this country, but it's, it's definitely, um, it's, it's taking a toll on all of us. And, um, and I'm just seeing, you know, things are kind of ramping up again now that COVID is, you know, we've, we've got methods to, you know, to combat it and, you know, kind of get around it. And, you know, it's starting to ramp up a little bit again. And I would just hope that people would sort of recognize, you know, what, you know, the changes and what, you know, just this, this over scheduled state that we're in and, and maybe make some decisions about this is something that's really going to bring them joy. I love that. Yeah. Get Marie Kondo with it, you know, mm. like ask, look at your schedule and, <laughs> yeah. and be yeah, like, does, why this, not? does this bring me joy from one does to this two? Bring me joy? <laughs> no, I am going to throw this, I'm going to throw this in the bin. <laughs> you know, you, you work a lot also with women who are um, going, who are transitioning that the middle of their life, the second half of their life. Oh. I know you contribute a lot to the second half podcast. Mm. And I would imagine for parents, especially mothers, women who are going through menopause, uh, so many hormonal changes, estrogen changes, birth control comes into play. And then you're also still raising your kid and trying to tune Mm. in 
to what they're experiencing. What are things that women or mothers can need to be aware of at that state to because they're overworked, they're mm-hmm. they're they're overscheduled, and and then they're uh, what's going? Can you talk to us a little bit about what's going on hormonally? What what are they experiencing physiologically? Well, that's tough. I mean, I I, I do a lot of women's health care, and uh, I would have to say that probably one of the most challenging. Um, times for women is actually the stage of, of, you know, the perimenopause, I would say sort of late forties, early fifties. And, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of different things that contribute to it. The hormones definitely can do it. I mean, we're, you know, you, you just, you're not feeling great physically. Um, there's more fatigue, sleep is, sleep is not great. And that's a lot of that's related to, to the hormones. Um, but also you sort of look at where we are just in life in general, right? I mean, we're kind of, you know, at, we're, you know, if we're, if we're, if we've got a career, uh, it's, you know, we maybe 20 years in, you know, so we're, we're, we're experts sort of where we are with our career. Our kids are also, you know, we spent a lot of time raising them and they're kind of at this stage, they, it depends on when people have their children, but, you know, they could also just be at this adolescent stage, which is, which is tough when the kids are starting to transition, right. From being kids to being young adults. I mean, that, that's a, that's a, challenging state. So, you know, that that can throw us off a little bit. But, uh, you know, with all of this going on, the uh, irritability, anxiety and depression really start to become um, a problem that uh, that we see coming up a little bit more, uh, even just even during during this time. And like I said, there's there's lots of reasons for it. But I think you know, something that I think you've talked about in, in your podcast before is destigmatizing mental health and giving people uh, a voice to, you know, to talk about how they're feeling and also, you know, give them opportunities to find answers in, um, in allowing them to feel better. So there's, there's a lot going on at this stage. We could, I could have, I could talk the whole podcast about <laughs> dealing uh, with, uh, dealing with women at this stage. I, so, yeah, I, I want to drill down on one more question. I love yeah. that you highlighted, you know, definitely destigmatizing and, and, and talking about how you're feeling, and what you're experiencing, because so much is going on externally in the world, in your life, in your career, and then internally, hormonally, mm. what are because I don't know this, but I imagine, uh, you know, mid forties, fifties, that's also then when women are getting off their birth control pill, correct? Because they don't need it or are they still continuing to take it? Potentially, potentially. I mean, it just, it depends on why, you know, there's lots of reasons that why women take birth control pills. I mean, it is obviously a contraceptive. I mean, some women also um, use it for controlling um, really heavy periods. And so, um, but when we get closer to menopause, um, we don't actually, you know, need the birth control pill uh, anymore. Usually the, the bleeding patterns will start to cease. Um, you know, we're, we're not um, as fertile. I won't say we weren't completely fertile, but the fertility factor is, is, is much lower. So you don't need the contraception part of it. But yeah, so there's, you know, there, we usually do recommend to women around the age of 50, I usually say if, they're, if they've been on their birth control pills, you know, all through their you know, 30s and 40s and said, okay, well, we're at 50 now. I think now's the time when we can see what's going to happen when we're off of this, you know, are we going to, is the period going to come back? You know, what, you know, what's going to happen here, but 
yeah, then there's there there would be a sudden drop, right, in hormones because birth control pills are are those hormones. So there's there's you know there's I guess we're a chemical <laughs> imbalance. We're kind of forcing, kind of taking away the the um, you know your the safety of the of the birth control. So yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes we actually have to start women back on forms of hormones um, around this time, depending on how they feel when we when we take them off of them. Yeah. And, and the reason why I was bringing it up, because this is a suicide prevention podcast. Mm. And I think that so I have I was just diagnosed with asthma and I was taking this pill before bed for my asthma. And I st started realizing like I, I was having sleep issues. I was having uh, increased suicidal yeah. ideations. Uh, I was crying all the time for no reason. And okay. then uh, and I <clears throat> forgot that my doctor was like, yeah, there could be some side effects. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that a lot of times when we go on or come off of a medication, we forget that there might be uh, some side effects that could be contributing to our anxiety or to our depression. And I imagine there's a lot of women who are on birth control pills who are probably taking other medications. In general, are there things to consider when someone, when we're taking a woman off of birth control uh, due to menopause, uh, like, uh, like, she, can she just be taken off of it immediately, or can she be slowly weaned off, or you know, what, what in general do you see is the our best practices for coming off the birth control pill? I think that in general, I mean, with women, usually when they're on the birth control pill, most women will do three weeks on, one week off of hormones, right? So they've come, they've they've sort of had this. Um, this period of time of being off of it. So usually I, for birth control pills, I don't usually recommend um, or, you know, require that women go on any weaning. Um, what they'll, they'll probably, I don't think that that would necessarily help um, kind of ease your way into it. It's, you know, it's, so it, once you come off of it, um, you'll start to notice, you know, how you're feeling and, you know, interestingly enough, I mean, some sometimes people, women on birth control pills will actually say that it, it makes their emotions worse, right? And so some people will, so it's it's interesting how um, hormones, and we don't completely, I mean, we probably don't even have tip of the iceberg of understanding completely how this affects us. But um, some women I can't even take birth control pills because it, they, they, they feel so dysregulated on them. And some people have to take them because they have horrible PMS. Like right before their, their period, they'll, they'll feel absolutely terrible. And the, and the, you know, the birth control pill helps that, but yeah, I don't necessarily, um, you know, feel that you have to wean off of it. That being said, um, not have, you know, being on, on hormones or being on birth control pills, suddenly, you know, not having those hormones there. And especially if you're in menopause and you don't really have a whole lot of natural, um, you know, hormones there is, you know, in addition, yeah, you could feel, you could feel pretty bad. I mean, um, so, you know, the things to look out for would be, you know, poor sleep, um, you know, irritability and, um, you know, just, you know, just headaches, um, joint aches and pains are common, actually, interestingly enough, when women are going through menopause and the estrogen level um, goes down. So just looking out for just, you know, those, those feelings. And then when if, if they experience that, then we'll talk about, well, is it worthwhile to go back on hormones? Or are there other medications? Are there other methods that we can use to try to help you feel better? 
I, I love that. So it sounds like if the estrogen levels are, are decreasing, then are we talking estrogen supplements? Uh, in some cases, I read people use SSRIs. What are your mm -hmm. thoughts on either? Yeah, it depends on what the problem is, right? I mean, so if the problem is, oh, I'm, you know, I'm anxious, I'm irritable, I can't sleep, um, then a lot of times we'll, we'll, well, let's talk about SSRIs. Um, you know, they can definitely help. I've had, I've had it help a lot of women, um, going through this transitional time, um, hot flashes. I don't think I've mentioned that that's probably one of the most common, um, uh, you know, physical effects that women will have during menopause. And, um, you know, that's sometimes when we'll, if the hot flashes are so bad, um, so that's when we would maybe consider um, estrogen, maybe a little bit of estrogen, not necessarily birth control pills, but maybe, um, but we could use estrogen in different forms, just the, the hormone replacement pill. We now have um, hormone replacement patches that I actually like as a little transdermal patch that you can put on. I, I feel that's a little bit safer in certain circumstances, but a lot of it just depends on, um, you know, what's going on, um, what symptoms uh, do we need, do we need to treat? I love that. And, you know, you have two kids, you, you have a, a petting zoo going on at the house. <laughs> we talked earlier about connecting. You, yeah. you talk, you know, it's one thing to keep our kids busy, but it's another thing for us to make sure that it's not replacing us, our mm -hmm. relationship as a parent. What are some practices that you have with your two sons to connect? And I ask that because I have a friend and, and her daughter's going off to college. And mm. so when she was picking her daughter up from school every day, that was their time to connect. That, that's yeah. what she called her tea time. Do you have a yeah. tea time with your sons or? Is I it do. Well, yeah, no, I, I love that question. Um, and, you know, a lot of times it's, you know, you do, we do have to find that balance. I mean, it's important for kids to, you know, to um, have outlets where they can, you know, express themselves and meet with their friends and have those connections outside the home, right? It's not that we want them to be 100, like, connected with us all the time. I mean, it's important for kids as they grow to become independent, to explore, find out about themselves, you know, so that, so that's important, but it's just a balance of, you know, maybe, you know, making sure they're, you know, they've, they've got the balance between that and also, you know, time at home. But, uh, you know, so what I like to think about with quality time is not necessarily like, a, not necessarily quantity in terms of number, but for amount of time, but the actual time that you do spend with one another should be high quality. It should be time when you don't have devices around. I know that's hard, but you know, it's, it can be hard for me. It's especially hard for my kids, but just trying to put those aside and just having times where, you know, where you talk. Um, one of my kids loves to take a walk. And so that that's a great way. And it doesn't, you know, we can just walk around the block a couple of times. One of our cats of the zoo likes to follow us. So we have a nice, nice time with that. So that's a great way to connect with one of my sons. And it's just 20 minutes. But, you know, you feel really, you feel good after, after doing that. And then another one of my sons, I've got two. The other one, I drive to school in the morning. So that's, that's, that's our time. And he enjoys introducing me to his music. And so, you know, <laughs> I, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool, but you know, it's just, it's, it's great to know what your kids are interested in and ask them questions about it. I, and I think that's a great way to connect. Even if you, you know, the music that he listens to isn't necessarily what I would listen to, but the time in the car, we listen to his music. I ask him questions about it. I ask him about the artists and I, it just, 
you know, it, it just makes them feel like you care You re- that you really do. Absolutely. Asking questions instead of judging, like, why are you listening to this mm. crap? Or, yeah. you know, are you, <laughs> you know, what is this? How dare you? Yeah. Um, so yeah. That, that is a beautiful way. It's kind of like meeting them where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that they, like you said, so they know that you care about them as a person and not just trying to push your agenda of how you want them to be. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's, and sometimes, yeah, we kind of get lost in that when we're just pushing our kids to do this and driving them here. And, oh, did you do your homework? And, oh, we have practice, we have this, we have that. And sometimes you just have to say, well, you know, what, what's, what kind of music do you like? Like what, you know, what, have you tried any new food these days? Like you're just sort of taking a step back and just connecting with them on a really, really simple level is it's refreshing. Now, you have a degree in microbiology and bacteriology <laughs> from, I can't even say to say bacteriology. Yeah, uh, bacteriology. <laughs> it's, it's essentially, I don't know why. Yeah, I went to Madison, University of Wisconsin-Madison, and that was, you couldn't major in biology there. You had to major in something, you know, something else. Immunology, bacteriology, zoology, but I chose bacteriology, I guess, yeah. Uh, and and so and I bring that up because uh, what's causing a lot of anxiety and depression is should you know for parents should they get their kids the vaccine shots mm. should they get the booster as a mom as a wife it, it, two kids and you're working around patients what are your thoughts on that? Well, I tell you, I I you know I'm a strong believer in science I you know went to undergrad and obviously med school and so I trust the science and so I am I'm a supporter of the vaccines I uh you know I you know both my kids I've got a 12 year old and a 14 and a half year old and they're both they're both vaccinated and it's not to say that you know you just don't you know don't think or don't care or anything about that I mean obviously you you do um, you know, you think about the, the pros and the cons and everything, but I mean, it's, I, I really do feel that the science is where it needs to be in terms of the safety of these um, vaccines. So I, you know, I, I'm a supporter of it and, you know, it, it just showing what the vaccines have allowed us as a society and as a global community to do is to, you know, start to get back that feeling of control, um, you know, I, I just I recently um, contributed actually to an article um, that was looking at some research regarding mental health associated with getting the vaccine and showing that people who get the vaccine, the the effect on their mental health was, you know, just it was it's so many positive benefits. So, you know, there's the physical benefits, but also just looking at what the, this pandemic has done to us as a society and just the the amount of stress and anxiety and depression and how the vaccine has helped given us some control over a situation so is it perfect no but it's something that i feel that you know that we need to do and um you know and but everybody has you know makes their own makes up their own mind i don't force the issue on anybody obviously People, people decide for themselves. But I, as a doctor, I can make recommendations, and it's something I do recommend. Yeah, as soon as I got my second shot, I felt like Superman. I was like, <laughs> oh, bump into me. Let's get some hugs. Yeah, yeah I can exactly, stop bullets. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you, you know, I never thought about that, that mental health part about it definitely reduced my anxiety. Uh, I mean, I still wear a mask. I still wash my hands. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I take those necessary precautions. 
but I just feel like I, you know, like I feel like a little safer. I know nothing's a hundred percent, but I'm like, at least I'm, I'm, I'm doing, you know, I'm doing my best to uh, prevent it um, or catching it. Um, I, yeah, yeah, go ahead. yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, you know, it, what, what you're talking about is just is getting control over this. Right. I mean, that's I mean, even before we had the vaccines, I remember talking to patients who just were feeling just so frightened. And I said, well, what can you do to get control? You know, all that we can do, we can't control what our neighbor does. You know, we can't control what, you know, the, you know, the, the person, you know, in the next country or the next state over is doing. But what we can do is we can control what we do. And so wearing a mask and washing your hands, these are very powerful things that you can do. And then the vaccine just added another level of control to, um, to you know, helping us, you know, kind of get, get through and, and feel less, less anxious about everything. And, you know, I, I love that you brought up the word control because I, I want to emphasize that this is not a go get vaccinated podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that what I what, what I what I do want to emphasize is it, when we're experiencing anxiety, especially anxiety, um, it's it behooves us to look at what are the areas in my life that are within my control instead mm -hmm. of focusing on. Everything's out of control. Everything's falling apart. The, the, the world's collapsing. There's glo global warming. Everything's on fire. It's like, all right, what's in my control? Uh, I exactly. can get a shot. I can exercise. Mm -hmm. I can, you know, wh whatever that those I can call a friend, like what's in your realm of actual control and then letting everything else go. Right. Yeah. yeah. That, if you can do it, it's easier. It, absolutely easier said than done. But I mean, I think that's where, you know, good therapy is helpful too, because, uh, you know, therapy can help people sort of understand the, the power that we actually do have um, within ourselves. And also, again, back to that compassion, back to that self-kindness, that self-compassion, you know, your feelings are your feelings. You know, you're, 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 you know, we validate the feelings that you have, but you know, you, you can also change those feelings. They are temporary and getting control over different aspects of our life can really, really be helpful. Um, I, I know that you work with the LGBTQ community mm -hmm. and I, I can imagine that um, on top of the anxiety of COVID, of the economy, if, if you know, a parent who has a child who uh, may be struggling with coming out or uh, dealing with their sexuality at that young age, what have you found in terms of uh, parents, advice to parents for connecting with their child who might be uh, experiencing that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a big, um, it, it, again, getting to down to connecting. Right. I think that where a lot of the struggle in the LGBTQ community comes from, especially when they're in the process of kind of that self-discovery of coming out, um, you know, just being able to to talk about their feelings is, is really, really important. But also being with both peers, I think it's important to also have peers to um, be able to talk to about what, you know, what they're feeling and then having a parent be supportive of of their feelings as well. I mean, there are studies that show that 
um, that suicide rates are much higher in the LGBTQ community if they don't have a supportive um, uh, parent. And this is especially high in the trans community. So it's, you know, just having a supportive um, parent who's open, um, you know, willing to, you know, let um, their child, you know, discuss how they're feeling and just you know, trying to withhold judgment. You know, the kids are, um, you know, trying to figure everything out and they just need your love. And you just that's as a parent that that's what you're there for. You're there to keep them safe and to show them love. And that's probably one of the most um, basic and important things that you can contribute to any child, but especially a child who is, um, you know, struggling with um, with coming out and LGBTQ um, issues. Connect, support, validate. Mm-hmm. Last yeah. two questions, yeah, Dr. Yeah. Habert. Um, is there are any books or resources that you recommend to parents who are who have kids who might be struggling with, you know, uh, anxiety or depression? Uh, you know, there are so many great websites. I don't have any particular books. I mean, who, who reads books anymore these days, right? It's all, <laughs> we all listen to podcasts and we, and we, um, you know, uh, do audiobooks maybe, but, um, you know, I don't have any particular, you know, you know, sites. I, you know, I still, I still like to go back to, you know, um, the CDC and NIH. I think that there's a lot of great information, the um, National Institutes of Mental Health have so many great resources and just information in general about mental health. And I think that's, you know, can be very, very helpful. And I think just finding, um, you know, and also on the, um, you know, uh, the AAFP, the American Academy of Family Physicians, I'm a family physician. So their website also has a lot of information about mental health. You do have to be, you know, a good consumer. The, the internet is full of information, right? And so being able to find the information that's um, that's that's correct and accurate is, is, is of the utmost importance. So I usually tell people to use um, you know, .gov or .edu um, or .org as their, um, you know, the basis of, of finding out information. Thank you so much. And then last question, because I always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their mm-hmm. life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Dr. Haver? I would say stop, think, also, again, bringing back the kindness and compassion, and I think just validating, you know, the understanding why they're feeling uh, the way that they're feeling in this moment, but that, again, this is temporary and things can change, and to give them a little bit of hope that it certainly can. I love it. Thank you so much for tuning mm-hmm. in. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Um, you can go to thrivewitleo.com for one-on-one coaching. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help, whether it's a physician, uh, a psychiatrist, psychologist. Uh, call an enemy. Call a friend. Call anybody. Uh, express connect. yourself. Connect. Connect. Reach out on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a million uh, phone numbers and emails listed in mm-hmm. each and every single one of the show notes. I'll have links to the CDC, the MIH, and the AAFP also in this show note. Um, and let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Dr. Havert. Thank you so much for having me.